Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And welcome to Hangouts and Headlines, June 17th. Hopefully everybody is having a good morning here in North America or whatever other time it is for you. Uh, we have, as you could probably tell from the thumbnail, a pretty interesting story to cover about a journalist that was supposedly reporting on the tech and viral space, trending stories online, which, as we have been discussing in this space, has been a continuing feature of the articles that we've otherwise been discussing. Not because we've been talking about, oh, a pretty famous trial that's been going on for the past little while, but because instead, so many of these outlets have elected to report on the people doing the reporting or otherwise talking about the trial itself. So it is very interesting that the individual in question has been fired or resigned or whatever it is that you want to call this because of fabrication of some of her stories. So we're going to take a look at that in just a minute. But like I like to do here before we dive deep into anal analytical readings of articles and whatnot, how is everybody doing? Where are you hanging out this morning? Let me know. I love this part of the show. And... While you do that, I also want to let you know that we might just cover a second topic on this particular video as well. I know a number of you have reached out to me to ask me what I think about a certain juror's quotes given to Good Morning America. And I use quotes there not because I necessarily think the juror is fake, but that I haven't been given enough information to actually adjudge uh, their fakeness or the reality of the situation. So right now, what Good Morning America is asking of everyone that is looking at their article or otherwise watching their videos is to just trust them. And maybe I'm just more cynical than I used to be having gone through headlines now for getting close to a couple of months. But when I look at this kind of article, I say, show me some receipts of some kind. Put in a sentence, put in a paragraph that says, okay, this is what we did. We got their identification. We got a jury pay slip. We got these various other things. We have confirmed this person's identity. And instead, it's just, this is a juror. This is an exclusive. And I have to be honest with you. Good morning, America. I don't trust you. So here we are. But I am going to look at that article. I'm going to look at the quotes. I'm also going to talk to you a little bit why I also have a couple of red flags go up, primarily because of how much it tracks with what we have said in various panels online that you could have watched in our coverage of the trial itself. So, you know, get excited for that. That's the second thing we're going to cover uh, this morning. Uh, but before that, we are going to talk a little bit about fabrication. No, we have not gotten our air conditioning fixed, which, as many of you have pointed out in the comments, is exactly why I'm wearing heavy hoodies and sweaters. Look, these are the outfits I have. This is the look that I go out with on the Internet. And yes, it's a little bit warm, but at least it's 7 a.m. here in Michigan, so it isn't overly warm yet. We're going to work on that air conditioning, most definitely. Good morning from Michigan. Well, hello, fellow Michigander. Always nice to chat. Uh, let's see here. Cheeseballs456, loving H&H, &H, only played a few Final Fantasy games. 7 Remake, 10, 13, and 15. Given Square Enix's statement yesterday, should I play the original Final Fantasy 7 game? No spoilers, please. If so, what order? Well, yes, I think without any spoilers, the Final Fantasy VII Remake Project, which is a video game, which I very much enjoy. If you go watch my top games of, I want to say, 2020, 
you will see it very high on the list as I discuss that product. It is not a remake of Final Fantasy VII. I know it's called Final Fantasy VII Remake, but it's important to know it is not a remake. It's kind of a sequel or side sequel. If you watch Lost, it's kind of in a sideways flash forward thing. Um, so uh, if you are interested in that story, I actually think that they're riffing on it when they make the remake game. So you should check out the original from 1997. You won't be disappointed. It's an excellent game. Britt Cormier, remember when I referenced the Wire newspaper plotline and the creation of sources? Who knew that a week later there would be a big story on it? LOL. Yeah, and I said yesterday that Hayden Christensen had a big week, uh, and it took a couple of people a few minutes to figure out what I was talking about. But of course, uh, Darth Vader is both on TV right now and featured prominently in a 2003 movie called Shattered Glass about a fabricator of stories and sources. So a little bit of nerd humor there. Uh, let's see. I don't know who my wife is talking to, but she loves that positivity. So thank you very much for positivity. That's what we like to see in this space. Morning evening from Australia. You're on different days. It's different times of day. Australia, man. I tell you. Very, very cool. Thank you so much. What SE statement? I missed it. There's about a 10-minute video that went live yesterday here on the East Coast at 6 p.m. Uh, you can check it out. They announced a remaster of Crisis Core. They also announced Final Fantasy Remake Part 2, which is the easiest way to explain what it is. It is not called Final Fantasy 7 Remake Part 2, so go check that out. Uh, good evening uh, or good day from Germany. Good afternoon from Rotterdam. Good morning from Brighton. Uh, let's see what else. They're literally remaking it. No spoilers, but yes. Uh, I also tweeted out quite a lot about it in 2020. Uh, Shattered Glass. I enjoyed that movie. Yeah, I think I would argue that it's Hayden Christensen's best movie, best role. Um, but, you know, it's not prequel hate. Uh, I just uh, I liked him in those more grounded settings. Good morning, Hogan, Mrs. Ho. Good morning to you, Deidre. Can't get enough of hangouts and headlines. Good morning from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, good morning from the West Coast, Melbourne, Australia, North London, Enfield. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Final Fantasy games I recommend and play order from Brit. Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 4, Final Fantasy 7. After that, I played 11 for a long time, but that's likely dead now because it's a multiplayer game. Brit, Final Fantasy 6 has to be in that top order somewhere. Got to put Final Fantasy 6 in there. I also like 4, but 6, get that in there somewhere. Uh, it's excellent. And you've got pixel remasters that are available either on your phone or on Steam. For Hayden Christensen movies, James says Jumper wasn't terrible. I don't think it was terrible. That's what I have in my head. I also don't remember anything about it, and I confuse it with Chronicle uh, in my head. So check out Jumper. H&H &H is actually Hogan Hogue. Maybe. Maybe. Certainly fun uh, to see my wife in here in the chat talking with everyone else. Controversial take. Final Fantasy VIII is the best Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy VIII gets weird with its battle systems, but... It has a lot of very human plot lines uh, and actually does have a lot of emotionality wrapped up within it. So I, I very much enjoy Final Fantasy VIII, uh, but not maybe the act of drawing magic and things like that. Uh, but Final Fantasy VIII, very good. Hello from Ireland. Hello from Antigua. Good evening from Thailand. Uh, let's see here. Hi from New Zealand. Eight was very Disney-esque. 
Well, it's a school-based game, and it's very deliberately romantic. Uh, so it has some of that kind of princessy vibes, I guess. Uh, but Final Fantasy VIII is very, very good. Uh, good morning, end of night from California. I can't believe it. It is really, really early out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, thanks, Hogue, for keeping me entertained while I clean my apartment. Good luck with that. Uh, always, always a tough task. Hopefully I can keep you entertained. See here. Hello from Adelaide, South Australia. Hello from Indy. Good morning from California. Can you put in the description the meanings of the highlight colors? Yes, my wife has begged me to otherwise describe both the highlighters I use, which is super simple highlighter in Weva, and the meanings of the colors. Maybe I will do a very short video on that because they don't mean anything realistically. They're designed to set off specific phrases and the way I read sentences so that you can see where they are going and, and how they are otherwise structured. Uh, and that comes from my background in law, because as you've probably seen from contracts or otherwise, you've got a lot of provisions and a lot of various things that can go around. You can have a sentence that's a whole paragraph long. And so one of the things I do is I highlight like the verb uh, and the, the sentence itself, like what does this thing do in one color? And then I take examples and I put them in another color or otherwise separate them out that way. Outside of that, green is what I use most for quotes. And red is what I use most for importance. Everything else is setting off structure so that I can hopefully help explain what's happening in the sentences better. Sarcastic Australian, you're the first American I've ever heard to pronounce Melbourne correctly. Are you the chosen one? No, no, I am not. I say Melbourne like any other American, but folks have come in and tried to help me with Brisbane and Melbourne, and I'm trying to do my best to meet them where they live, sometimes literally. Uh, and so I'm I'm trying to uh, pronounce things at least remotely correctly. If you've been in virtual reality at all, you know that my pronunciations are in general terrible. Uh, that my uh, uh, subscribers once promoted that I should have a shirt that literally says, pardon my French, because every story I did on Ubisoft or anything with a French Canadian name or otherwise is an absolute butchering of their beautiful language. And I apologize every single time. Uh, but no, I am not the chosen one for pronunciation. I guarantee that. I appreciate you thinking that I might be, though. Abby P became a YouTube member. Thank you, Abby P. Welcome. Fantastic stuff. Good morning from Ontario. Uh, Scotland also. I don't know what that's a question about. Good morning from the West Coast by way of Tamriel. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah, all sorts of good stuff here. Are the Hogues coming to Australia one day? I had a buddy of mine that was a partner in a law firm I worked at that was from Australia. Uh, and he wanted me to come by. He was talking up constantly the waterfalls and the cool stuff that you could see. But I have not been out there uh, as of yet. It has always struck me as a very long flight from here in Michigan or a number of long flights, as the case may be. But it would be very cool to see uh, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so maybe one day, maybe one day. We could do a special called The Hogs Down Under, like The Rescuers Down Under. That's topical and timely. That's a very current reference, right? Absolutely. Uh, hello from Montreal, Quebec. All right, folks. I think uh, a lot of folks have checked in now. I love that. Um, I think it's time to start looking at some of these articles. So let's start with The New York Times. So The New York Times actually wound up 
breaking this story yesterday. I'm going to get one, this one super chat before we get into this article now, as it, as it turns out. King of Casuals, what is the best Final Fantasy and why is it Tactics? Final Fantasy Tactics is amazing. I, it, I do consider it an offshoot. It's a strategic tactical game. I'm sure that comes as a surprise for people who aren't familiar with it. It has one of the best stories in gaming, although the translation leaves a little bit something to be desired at this point. Hopefully it's getting a remake or a remaster. But in terms of the best Final Fantasy, that's Final Fantasy VI. That will always and forever be my favorite Final Fantasy. So thank you very much. Now, then we're going to talk about the New York Times. The New York Times broke this story about a USA Today reporter that had been fired and that these articles were going to be removed. So if we look at this story, uh, okay, just hang on here. Uh, from the New York Times, this is what goes live about halfway through the day yesterday. USA Today to remove 23 articles after investigation into fabricated sources. The articles were removed after an investigation identified stories with sources that appeared to be fabricated, USA Today said. Now, this actually changed a little bit because USA Today hadn't put out a note yet when the New York Times started reporting on this. This is actually the updated version, which I knew would be updated by the time we talked about it today. But it's, it's very interesting because we have, in this space, been commenting on some of the weirdness that we have seen from these various outlets covering a case in respect of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard that we had all seen with our own eyes, or at least could have elected to if we wanted to. And yet they were reporting on absolute weirdness. They were reporting on Jason Momoa's testimony, which was clearly a viral video. Then they were reporting on the fact that people were just getting their information about the trial from viral videos, when it was apparent that some of the journalists were getting their information from viral videos, but that a number of us had actually watched the case itself. So it became this kind of miasma of journalism, not malpractice maybe, but at least things that would give us pause in trusting what they were saying to us. And of course, that culminated at least a little bit in Taylor Lorenz's article about YouTubers and streamers covering the trial, then failing to actually get the contact that they said what they got, and then correcting the error, correcting the error, and correcting the error, all wrong, still wrong. And the Washington Post finally quintupling down and saying, now nah, we're not fixing it again. Uh, and so I think from my perspective, and I can't speak for you on this, it certainly feels like a, a time and place where there's a very limited amount of trust for these outlets. And then a story comes across the New York Times, and we'll see this covered in the Washington Post and USA Today and everywhere else, because this is a big deal that says, oh, by the way, our reporter may have been fabricating quotes, sure, but fabricating whole sources. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that just a little bit. USA Today said on Thursday that it had removed 23 articles from its website after an investigation into a reporter's work revealed sources that appeared to be fabricated. Now, we'll see this in another article, but this particular reporter had only been serving in this function, at least as reported. And we'll just take everything with a grain of salt on everything uh, from now on, I, I suppose, that this has only been from the spring of last year. So this is 23 articles in the space of a year, give or take, all of which were apparently missed as having had significant flaws in them, uh, which does speak to a certain amount of laxity at USA Today and their editorial staff. The internal investigation, which took place over a period of several weeks, began after USA Today received an inquiry related to the veracity of details in an article by Gabriela Miranda, who was a breaking news reporter at USA Today. Kind of. Um, she, if we look at the articles, it's really not breaking news. I mean, it's news that's happening concurrently. It's not big ticket items. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. 
Ms. Miranda resigned from USA Today recently as the investigation progressed, according to a person briefed on the inquiry. Her most recent article for the newspaper was published on April 17th, so a few months ago. Ms. Miranda could not immediately be reached for comment, and we've seen how that works, so this immediately here suggests that she got very little time to respond. A note posted on USA Today's website on Thursday afternoon notified readers about the investigation and its decision to remove articles. So let's take a look at that note right now, because that's going to be the primary source material that a lot of these articles are going to be based around, is what did USA Today just say happened with respect to all this? Uh, and that is right here. So USA Today in the news says, USA Today removed 23 stories from website, other platforms following audit of reporters' work. I always find it funny, by the way, when they cover themselves and they have to say, by USA Today, USA Today did this thing. Who's the author of this piece? No idea. But we're going to talk about ourselves in the third person. And isn't that interesting in and of itself? So after receiving an external correction request, so somebody reads an article that has the byline of Gabriella Miranda and says, I didn't say that, uh, and says, USA Today, can you please check on this? Because I didn't say this. Uh, so they go and they start checking on it, and it widens and widens and widens. The audit revealed that some individuals quoted were not affiliated with the organizations claimed. That's interesting, right? So if you go and you say, Rick Hogue, on behalf of the ACLU, says, blah, 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 blah. I would call into USA Today and I would say, I am not at all affiliated with the ACLU. Why are you doing this in this particular way? And appear to be fabricated, says USA Today. And if you're a journalistic outlet, you really don't want to have to use the word fabricated, especially when reporting on yourself. The existence of other individuals quoted could not be independently verified. The existence. So we've got people in these articles that aren't affiliated with the organizations that they say that the article says they are. And we've got other people that USA Today can't find. Don't know if they are in existence at all. In addition, some stories included quotes that should have been credited to others. So just general journalistic sloppiness. As a result, USA Today removed 23 articles from its website and other platforms for not meeting our editorial standards. The headlines of the articles are listed below. Miranda has resigned as a reporter for USA Today and the USA Today Network. Now, that's the story from USA Today, but USA Today now has a problem, right? Because in these stories, you say exactly what I just said earlier, which is, how do you get to 23 articles? People don't exist. What are you doing over there? Are you confirming any of this or are you just letting your reporters go whole hog on whatever it is that they want to put forth to your newspaper? Well, USA Today says, we think you might be thinking that. So we want to tell you, we're going to tighten this ship up. We strive to be accurate and factual in all our content and regret this situation. I bet you do. We will continue to reinforce and strengthen our reporting and editing diligence and processes as we. Now, this is important just in terms of rhetoric. You've seen this before in corporate messaging. This isn't, we are going to reinforce and strengthen our reporting, which is actually what they're saying. It's, we will continue to do that. Just so we're clear from a rhetorical standpoint, <laughs> this might look bad, everybody, but we've already been reinforcing and strengthening our reporting uh, and due diligence. We're already strong on this. Uh, and so we're going to keep doing that. Uh, just so you think that we're going to, we're not going to start doing this right now because it might look that way because we just removed two dozen articles with apparently fabricated sources or at least sources we can't confirm. Don't worry about that. We're going to continue to do this thing. It's pretty important for journalistic outlets to do. What are we going to do to continue that? Well, we're going to improve our process for those that want to lodge complaints or request corrections. Okay, so maybe there was some trickiness in even getting someone on the horn to talk about an issue like um, I'm not affiliated with that entity. 
Ensure stories have clear and sufficient identifying information for individuals quoted, maybe to make this a little bit easier if we have to go and figure out whether someone is lying to the entire world on questions like these. Ensure that reporters take appropriate steps at all times to verify source information. USA Today, this doesn't appear to have been an issue where someone was just sloppy, except with the third category of mistakes. If these things are fabricated, if these connections are lies, ensuring that reporters take appropriate steps to verify things isn't going to help. Ensure that institutions are contacted to provide a response or statement if they are referenced in the story. That might help. That might help curtail, well, this person doesn't work for us, isn't affiliated with us, and can't speak for us. That, that could be a part of the process, certainly. Apply additional scrutiny to sources found through blind connections on social media platforms via email, etc. Yes. What scrutiny level have you been using, USA Today? And it sounds to me like the biggest scrutiny level probably has to be between you, your editorial staff, and the reporter in question, because none of the bullets so far, except maybe that we're going to discuss it with institutions a little bit more, would seem to cover the mal-actor, the bad actor inside your organization, rather than just simple sloppy mistakes. That's what you have to avoid if this is in fact happening at your outlet. Reinforce our standards for crediting other outlets for their work. Have no idea what that has to do with anything in this story, but good for you, USA Today. I hope you get credit for that one, I suppose. That's what USA Today goes out there with. As I mentioned, a lot of this reminded me, and maybe this is just because I saw Hayden Christensen for the first time in a decade, seemingly, this week. Uh, a lot of this did remind me of the Shattered Glass movie and Stephen Glass at the New Republic, who was essentially found to have fabricated whole stories. Uh, and I don't know what the situation is with this particular author, but if we actually look at what was removed, and I think there's a list here somewhere, maybe not in this note, um, from the uh, from the USA Today website in question, these are not like big ticket items. These are things about like TikTok trends uh, and various other things that relate to kind of online living more than anything else. It is not their top news reporter. It's not somebody that they were depending on. They'd only been working in this capacity at USA Today for a little while in the grand scheme of things, and still two dozen articles were put forth that didn't meet their quote-unquote editorial standards. So it becomes an open question as to what those standards were before all of this went down. Now back to the New York Times article, which we'll pull up in just a second here, we get a little bit more color, and we're also going to look at the Washington Post. And, and these outlets are doing a good job. This is newsworthy to talk about. Obviously, there's a certain amount of consternation regarding covering something like this or avoiding looking gleeful at another competitor in the space having to deal with a situation like this. So New York Times goes forward and says, what we just read after receiving an external correction request, USA Today audited Gabriella Miranda, audit found some stuff. The note added that the publication would review and strengthen its processes to prevent similar incident in the future. And then we have some behind the scenes from the New York Times. USA Today held a meeting with employees over video conference on Thursday, they had a Zoom call, to discuss the investigation. The meeting, led by USA Today's editor-in-chief, Nicole Carroll, featured a briefing on some of the problems discovered in Ms. Miranda's articles and a question and answer session. During the investigation, USA Today concluded that Ms. Miranda took steps to deceive investigators by producing false evidence of her news gathering, including recordings of interviews according to the person briefed on the inquiry. One of the people involved in the investigation disputed that conclusion in Thursday's meeting with staff, saying that the people looking into her work could not verify the identities of some people in the recording. So there's a fight even internally 
amongst the investigators that is essentially, at least as described here by the New York Times, presented to the staff at USA Today. So the investigation goes in there and says really, really bad things, which is not only did you fake some of these things, not only were you a sloppy journalist, when we turned around to audit you, you then faked more things to cover your tracks, to deceive investigators by producing false evidence of her news gathering. Now, one of the other people involved in the investigation, according to the New York Times, disputes that conclusion. I'm not entirely clear what we're supposed to take from that, other than the fact that USA Today, like the Washington Post before it, and maybe like everywhere else that we could look at if we took a spotlight like this one to their newsrooms, appears to be in disarray that the investigators don't agree on what the investigation showed, that they don't agree on what Ms. Miranda actually did. And what goes forward from there at USA Today is anybody's question. Now, as New York Times reports, Ms. Miranda's articles that have been removed include coverage related to Texas's ban on abortion after six weeks, the reaction of women in the Ukraine to the Russian invasion, and a guide to sunscreen. She previously covered education and the Hispanic community for Gainesville Times. According to her website, she graduated from the University of Georgia in 2021. USA Today had a separate story fabrication scandal in 2004 when the newspaper accused a Pulitzer Prize finalist and correspondent Jack Kelly of making up stories and plagiarizing work from other outlets. Mr. Kelly resigned and later apologized. And I guess this is for context, uh, but just seems to be piling on a little bit in the New York Times article here. And then we also have an article, as I mentioned, from The Post which maybe isn't in the best position to really uh, glower from on high, but they also noted that USA Today removed these articles. And in their reporting, they described the situation as uh, her being a reporter for, uh, I believe it's uh, TikTok videos and things like that. The breaking news reporter Gabriella Miranda has resigned from the newspaper, cannot be reached for comment. USA Today has removed nearly two dozen stories she wrote, like TikTok, TikTok bans milk crate challenge, uh, this is my land I stay about Ukraine. Uh, USA Today released a list of the removed articles as well as a brief account of its investigation into Miranda, which the company said began with an external corrections request several weeks ago. The audit eventually broadened to encompass a wide swath of her reporting, which focused on trending topics and viral stories. Uh, the audit revealed that some individuals quoted were not affiliated with the organization's claimed. We looked at that. And then I just really like the uh, kind of nonchalantness that the Washington Post treats this situation with, with <clears throat> Making up sources, quotes, or anecdotes is considered journalistic malpractice by most news organizations, and it typically leads to the offender's dismissal. And I think what they're saying is, is that it reaches this heightened level at most news organizations, but certainly you can read that sentence as suggesting that some news organizations have no problem with making up sources, quotes, or anecdotes. And maybe that is in fact the case, uh, but I just found it to be a funny way to actually describe the situation here. So I think we can all agree that making up sources, quotes, or anecdotes, making up facts that you put into your article, probably not the greatest thing for a journalist to do. And that USA Today is right to <clears throat> look at these kinds of situations and pull those articles and otherwise deal with uh, the problem as it has done. Most newspapers correct the record as USA Today has, alerting readers to problematic work. Then we get like what we saw with the New York Times. Here's a list of problems that have happened with these various things. Uh, now, unlike the New York Times, the Washington Post goes all in, says, hey, we gave back a Pulitzer Prize in 1981 after our reporter Janet Cook admitted that she had concocted a story about an eight-year-old heroin addict. The Times, which didn't mention this in its own report, was similarly embarrassed in 2003 by revelations that reporter Jason Blair had made up events and stories published under his byline. 
and had plagiarized other reporters' stories. USA Today reporter Jack Kelly resigned in 2004 after the newspaper couldn't verify assertions he made in stories he reported from around the world. And then we get a little bit more background on Miranda, uh, which we saw before. Her first story for USA Today was published in the spring of 2021. We saw that she graduated uh, that same year, at least as it was referenced in the New York Times. Who knows on facts from any of these outlets at this point? Uh, she also gave a talk that said that she recently switched to the breaking news and enterprise beat, which is what she really wanted to go into. And USA Today announced more protective measures. So that's basically the the whole of what I have seen on this story. There are other outlets that are covering this because it's very, very interesting. There's the Daily Mail. There's other places that we have covered here in Hangouts and Headlines and Virtual Legality. Uh, but I'm interested in what you all think, because these stories maybe aren't that important. Uh, they were a lot of, like I said, viral and trending stories and, and bringing down of those things. But it, it seems to me like it continues to trend towards really eliminating institutional trust at massive, massive outlets, right? USA Today isn't the New York Times. It isn't the Washington Post. It doesn't have that kind of credibility uh, or, uh, you know, trustworthiness or news breakingness, but it is a very highly circulated newspaper and it is one that a lot of people go to. So how do you feel when we get these kinds of fabrication scandals, right? Kaidai says, see, those fabricated headlines were much bigger. She was fabricating headlines about TikToks. I'm just confused as to why. I don't know whether it's laziness or sloppiness or wasn't taught journalistic ethics. I mean, she's right out of school, according to the resume here from 2021 on. Uh, and she winds up writing these stories that have sources that they can't find and people that are affiliated with organizations that don't exist or aren't affiliated with those organizations. And then she doubles down on covering her tracks. I get as a human being trying to cover your tracks, but as we have talked about in respect of other things, it very often is the cover up and not even the crime. Now, I think she would have been burned either direction on this if she fabricated things in two dozen stories. But why does one do this? I honestly can't tell you. You've gotten the role that you want to have. Do the work, right? So I'm interested in that psychology as well. But I'm more interested institutionally in the fact that a lot of these organizations seem to be burning their goodwill down to the ground with this kind of stuff. What was USA Today doing to even track that this kind of thing could happen? Are they doing anything? And are they doing anything now as they continue to strengthen their editorial practices. I couldn't tell you. And I can't trust them. People have come to me, as I said, when I was teasing out the second set of articles or second article in this video, hey, Good Morning America, ABC News, they clearly vetted these people, right? Well, one could hope. It's not the hardest thing in the world, uh, but they won't attest to anything that they did on this score. And so I have to look at this in this situation and say, my God, could they have vetted them? Could they have done anything? Because USA Today is pulling down two dozen articles that apparently had people that didn't exist in them. It's, it's a crazy time we live in with this stuff. Britt Cormier, I still do not think they should take down the articles. I would rather them put big red banners at the top and bottom of the articles and or change the background to something other than white to show that they are unreliable. I can understand that. Um, these are, though, fake. Uh, I guess what I would say is they shouldn't be on the USA Today uh, masthead. They shouldn't be on a place where you can easily find them. Maybe you could have an archive of Miranda articles. This is what they looked like um, so that you could use it for research or informational purposes. We could reflect on them. Uh, that might be uh, okay. Obviously, you can go into things like the Wayback Machine and, and pull some of this stuff up. But 
I understand what you're saying. I think when you've got actual fabrications and you can't tell whether they're true or not at all, uh, you, you pull them down uh, because you just have no idea what is in there, what could be defamatory, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're the outlet, you have to get rid of that liability exposure. So I understand why they do it from a legal perspective. Raga writes, DM Mail UK headline this uh, AM was regarding the Amber Heard interview and proof he lied. But now, hours later, no sign of this. Are they scared of being sued? Are outlets allowed to republish statements judged to be defamatory? Um, well, so we've got multiple jurisdictional issues. We've got jurisdiction issues in the UK with respect to the Daily Mail that has said that you can say various things about Johnny Depp uh, in that particular finding. That's the Sun case. You've got the jurisdictional issues. Uh, with the United States versus the UK, but you also have the UK that could have once relied upon Amber Heard, at least having a question mark as to whether or not they can rely on Amber Heard due to the Virginia case. So I will tell you this, I wouldn't want to be in those newsrooms deciding what I can publish or not. But as a lawyer, as a profession who is almost always risk averse, one of the things I would be telling you is that you should be very, very careful with this because you could potentially have additional exposure. So can they republish things? Maybe in the kind of Amber Heard says context. Uh, but if you know that Amber Heard has been found to be a liar in a different jurisdiction on this particular topic, then you're going to want to be more careful than you otherwise would be. Thomas Hogue. Hey, Dad. Good morning. I'm afraid this is just the tip of the iceberg, says Dad. Oh, he's blackpilling me this morning. Well, good morning to you too, sir. Post-truth to me means no consideration of the veracity of anything at all. Old media I hate, is hastening its own destruction. Very sad. Wow. You can see where I get my optimism from, folks. But I appreciate the super chat, Dad. I am not willing to jump off that plank with you just yet. Uh, but certainly, I think it has been eye-opening and interesting to watch these outlets react to a trial we could all see. And this is just another aspect of that. This doesn't have anything to do with Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard, except it kind of does because we're watching the media self-immolate on this particular topic. But my hope continues to be that they can reflect and do better rather than just give up on the whole enterprise and say nobody can trust anything from anywhere because down that road, I have a fear of madness. Uh, but thank you so much, Dad. I really appreciate it. Uh, and let's see, what do we got here? Secret McSquirrel. I heard that they get paid very little for stories. Could be. The ones with sources apparently get more money. Maybe the problem is that. I don't know. That's an interesting question. If they have incentives to fabricate sources uh, due to money solely, that would be interesting. And then of course, it would be interesting as compared to what Taylor Lorenz in the Washington Post had to say about all of us being only mobilized by money and the algorithms, various machinations rather than the ethics uh, and high standards of working for a masthead and an outlet of journalistic integrity. Uh, because if that is, in fact, the kind of formulation that results in stories like this one from USA Today, well, isn't that an interesting twist uh, in everything? But it could be. Maybe something worth looking into on that. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Sarah Smith, losing trust in reliable sources is distressing as a human, isn't it, though? And also, as someone who enjoys contributing to places like Wikipedia that rely on them, yeah, so Wikipedia has its problems in and of itself, right? Because a lot of people will report on anything from any direction and you can kind of pick, pick and choose and curate exactly what you want to go into a source like that. I tell people I use Wikipedia all the time, but not on anything remotely controversial in the current day. Uh, and because of their background to say, hey, we'll only take quote unquote reliable sources or authoritative sources here, uh, then 
if we lose that faith and trust and see what's happening at the Washington Post or the LA Times and the Jason Momoa quote, or here at the USA Today or anywhere else, that becomes kind of a domino effect because we have these kinds of aggregations of knowledge that rely on some level of veracity that may or may not exist as we dive deeper into how these outlets actually operate. So I hear what you are saying loud and clear. The other version of that, of course, from a different standpoint is as a YouTuber, as someone that contributes video to social media, one of the things that I have argued against is YouTube or one of these other platforms saying that we're going to elevate, quote unquote, authoritative sources above people that we don't find to have that authority. And understand that authoritative sources in this instance usually means things like news outlets uh, or big cable channels, even if I'm an, a lawyer and I'm talking about a legal matter and there you've got some idiot talking about whatever. In general, the algorithm and YouTube has gone out and said in black and white to us, we're going to elevate that quote unquote authoritative source over you. I have a video on it about the tyranny of authority or something along those lines. You can check that out. But that's happening at platforms all across the Internet. And as we lose our faith in those authoritative sources, that becomes an even greater and greater problem. So I hear what you're saying and I agree with it. Um, but we'll see where it goes from there. So thank you for the super chat. Tails DM, a lot of news is republished by other outlets. So how risky is it if the articles shared republished are using fabricated sources? Pretty darn risky. But remember when we talk about defamation, for instance, there has to be a certain amount of intent, right? And if you're the New York Times, let's just reverse this a little bit. You're the New York Times. The Washington Post goes and reports on something. It's a big deal. And you report on it and you source it properly. You say, hey, the Washington Post is reporting this important thing. And that is, in fact, the truth. That is what the Washington Post is reporting. And you can have a certain amount of trust that they have vetted or otherwise secured the proper uh, sourcing for what it is that they are reporting. And you can rely on that if you were to get dragged into a defamation or other kind of lawsuit. You can say, look, we were reporting on what another outlet was reporting on. We don't have any desire to promote falsity or any of these things. And in a lot of jurisdictions, that might get you out of things. That's why... The Sun could say, we relied on Amber Heard, and a judge could say, okay, that makes sense to rely on Amber Heard. She was in the room on a lot of this stuff. And then when you go and you sue Amber Heard, and she actually has to prove the veracity of her complaints, then that's when that trouble comes in. But with that second level of trusting someone, the Sun or other outlets had the easier course. Just like Johnny Depp didn't sue the Washington Post, even though they're the ones that published the op-ed, because from the Washington Post perspective, they say, well... If we can't trust the word of someone in this toxic relationship, who can we possibly trust to actually write these articles? And the Washington Post likely would have won on that argument to say, yeah, we got this op-ed. We knew this person was in the room on these certain occasions, and we have uh, an ability to trust that person. We're not trying to promote falsity. Could that still wind up biting some of these places in the butt? Sure. Uh, but you do have at least some amount of plausible deniability if you're just reporting on what someone else is reporting on. So you get those daisy chains where it gets less and less likely that maybe everything is true. And that's part of the problem with the Internet in general, right, is that you don't have a lot of those protections if someone just wants to say basically that this other person is reporting this wild thing and we're just telling you that they're reporting on it. Andrew Orndorff, not a fully developed thought. Public accounting and law firms are licensed and regulated because they deal with matters of public trust. Maybe journalism needs this too. Well, 
it's very, very difficult. Not only do we have the First Amendment in the United States, it's tricky to think of what regulation on this kind of thing would look like. It's easy enough to say if this person doesn't exist, that's a bad thing. But you do wind up stubbing your toe, at least, on the whole kind of disinformation, misinformation concept, right? So I would be very wary of giving a regulator the authority to come in to a journalistic outlet, somebody that is otherwise exercising their freedom of speech, and say, you're doing this thing wrong. Uh, because we don't want to be in the business of having somebody else come in and, and tell an outlet that their opinions aren't right, or otherwise kind of sliding down that slope. So I think it's possible that you could have kind of a broad level of regulation, uh, like, you know, don't fake things and maybe have some kind of penalties that are imposed from on high for things like this scandal at USA Today. But I wouldn't want to have an organization be in the business of enforcing things a little bit more closer to the bone. And I think in the current political climate where you do have the YouTubes and the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world kind of moving in that direction, and then the government putting forth at least the idea of a disinformation board at the same time, that that's really what I want to introduce into the kind of political stew that is the United States right now, because I think it would have a tendency to blow up very badly uh, in a lot of people's faces. But I like the, 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 the super chat and I like the concept of, you know, I'm just I'm just kind of positing. I'm throwing this out there because I think it is the kind of thing that reasonable people should be talking about, even if I think it's ultimately an idea that would wind up making things worse in the long run. So thank you very much for the support. Jay Jones with a big super chat. Thank you so much for the support of the channel. We were taught in journalism classes that it was our number one rule to act ethically to protect the First Amendment protection of the press for exactly the reason we were just talking about in the prior super chat, right? That one of the things that you do is you try to make sure that you're acting on good behavior so that the government or regulators or whatnot don't start to get the idea that they need to protect the people from you, right? And we saw this in the 90s with video games. Right, where we saw video games say, okay, the Senate is looking at us, various other parties are looking at us. And that was all ridiculous, I can tell you. I watched all of those things as a kid because I'm that kind of kid. And it was a ridiculous assertion. But what they did was they say, all right, we're going to self-regulate. We're going to come up with a ratings board. We're going to do these various other things so that you don't have the incentive to come in with your cudgel that doesn't understand the industry and do things for us. And so you see that kind of self-governance from a lot of bodies. And you can agree or disagree as to whether or not they're effective in the long run. But it makes sense to me, Jay Jones, when you say this to say, look, we have to be on our good behavior, not only just to because of the First Amendment, but to make sure that the government doesn't reconsider these various things. In the real world, there's nothing holding the press accountable. There isn't a bar association. It's surreal watching actual analysis of the media. Finally, well, I appreciate that. I think you're talking about me there. Uh, yeah, I like looking at these things. I like looking how messaging gets out there. And honestly, I was expecting to talk more about contours and rhetorical flourishes and things about how an argument is made from my legal background and my messaging background and talk about how what you're reading is giving you this feeling over here or otherwise is hiding this ball over here. Not so much, hey, we fabricated sources. Hey, we never contacted those people that we said we were going to contact. This is a little bit wild to me uh, and is a little bit eye-opening at this level of focus. Uh, so hopefully it is helpful. Uh, it is slowly making me more cynical uh, about the journalistic process in general in the United States. And I hope that they do reflect on this and get better at it rather than the dad hogue approach of throwing the whole thing out. They'll never be trusted again. Uh, so thank you so much for that super chat uh, and for the conversation on this stuff. This is the hangouts portion that I love about looking at these headlines, looking at these articles, 
uh, because I think you all have really interesting ideas. It's always helpful to get more eyes on an issue to talk through some of this stuff. Um, and on that note, I know a lot of you, a lot of you wanted me to talk about this particular story coming from Good Morning America. And that is, of course, that a juror in the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial has been said to have spoken out. Now, as I said at the top of this episode of Hangouts and Headlines, I am not sure about this. I am not sure because of some of the other things that we have discussed in this space, because we saw juror uh, come out on TikTok, which turned out to not be a juror, which I said basically as it was happening, uh, but that says very similar things to what we're going to analyze uh, in this article and very similar things to what anybody who watched the trial could say about it. In fact, one of the biggest reasons why my at least yellow flags, if not red flags, go up in this article and the quotes that are given is that it matches precisely with some of the things that we have said on the panel at Legal Bites or elsewhere around the internet. Now, that might mean we're the best analysts ever and we can just read people's minds and we know exactly what the jury is going to say about these things. But that seems unlikely. Um, so what we're going to talk about here are these quotes from Good Morning America. And a reasonable person would assume that ABC and GMA would have vetted this person and can just say that this is a juror. A juror in the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation trial said in an interview that aired Thursday on Good Morning America that when the actress cried during her testimony, the jury saw only crocodile tears, that the juror said that. But that's basically all you're going to get vis-a-vis -vis sourcing. You're not going to get any description of what they did to verify this, even though the names are under seal, even though we have seen other people on the internet try to fake this, even though the quotes match up with one of those fake jurors already. And we basically have to take it on faith. If you hear me and think, hey, he sounds rather uncomfortable with that, I am. But let's assume for the moment, for the purposes of looking at this article, that this is in fact a juror, because honestly, we can't just disbelieve everything ever uh, and have reasoned and useful, productive conversations about these things. So let's take a look at what this juror actually said to Good Morning America. It didn't come across as believable, he said. It seemed like she was able to flip the switch on her emotions. She would answer one question and she would be crying. And two seconds later, she would turn ice cold. It didn't seem natural. Here is one of the first areas where I say, yep, that is exactly what she looked like. And so, yes, it matches up with what we observed of Amber Heard while we were watching the trial. And yes, that's the human experience. It should all match up if we're all seeing the same thing. But that hasn't been my experience, that everybody sees identically the same thing. Now, I will say Amber Heard did appear to have full mastery of her emotional range, uh, even if she was unconvincing when she was crying. It was a little bit disturbing to watch an objection come in, have her emotions turn off like that and then turn back on when then she was supposed to answer the question after the objection had been overruled or sustained or whatever happened in that particular instance. I agree that it seemed robotic and weird, and so I don't disagree with this juror saying that, but it is obviously something that we talked about at length again and again and again. Depp, he said, just seemed a little more real in terms of how he responded to questions, and that sincerity, I think, is also true that's the analysis that I came to, which is that Amber Heard was presenting a different version of the world state, and that world state seemed less sincere than the Johnny Depp version of the world that he had presented. And so Johnny Depp seemed a little more real, is a perfectly valid way of talking about what we saw in that trial. 
the juror, one of seven jurors during the six-week trial, spoke exclusively to GMA and is the only juror on record to speak publicly about the case. Now, that sentence is accurate, mostly, but it is important to remember that there were at least two other people in that courtroom that could attest to what they thought about all the evidence that was presented to them, because there were two alternates that didn't make it into the jury room at all. And if you were one of these alternates and you wanted to say, hey, I'm a juror and I want to talk to Good Morning America, it's unclear exactly how GMA or ABC News would have vetted against that possibility without a list of the jurors themselves. Now, it's not the hardest thing in the world to actually go and verify this if you have somebody in the room, if you have something that you can check against, like I said earlier in the video, jury pay stubs, uh, an identification, uh, some instance of, you know, I've parked in this place for six weeks, whatever it might be, to actually try to go and dig into this question. But we just don't know what they did to verify this. And interestingly, we it seems like we get better information from getting a verified sticker on a Reddit subreddit that we know exactly how those moderators go and check the, uh, the identities of people more than we get from a national news story like this one that just says, trust us. This is a juror, one of seven jurors during the six-week trial, when there were nine that actually had the same position, even though two of them didn't participate in the deliberations and were just expected to take it on faith. Why would you buy the other person a knife was a question that was asked very often on the panel at Legal Bites and elsewhere online. Heard's credibility was suspect throughout the duration of the trial, the juror said. And I also want to note this. They give us quotes pretty often, and in other instances, they don't give us quotes. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. That's the author paraphrasing or otherwise helping the flow of an article. But when you're reading something like this, especially when the subject matter is a specific individual that is acting as a source, this is just about the fact that this juror exists and is talking to us, always take note of when they don't give you the quote. Heard's credibility was suspect throughout the duration of the trial is not what the juror said. It said something like this, or I think it's he, I think it's confirmed that it's a male uh, that is giving this information. He said something like this, but he didn't say this because if he did, it would have quotes. So this is the person that's writing this article translating what this person said. And in that process, just like a game of telephone that you might've played in elementary school, you could lose some resolution on what this individual said because it's already going through one filter of the author and we don't get to know what the quote actually is. Beside how she acted on the stand, several other factors led the jury to believe Heard was not credible, the juror said. The jury concluded they were both abusive to each other, but Heard's team failed to prove Depp's abuse was physical. Now, this is an interesting quote because the only thing that the Washington Post op-ed can be read to have said by implication that could be a problem is that Johnny Depp abused me because the references are to domestic abuse. Now, the headline is to uh, sexual violence. So I think that was always going to be a problem once the jury finds that that has been republished. So they Amber Heard always had an issue with that headline to the op-ed. But in terms of the rest of the article, mutual abuse should, in my legal mind, actually get you out of defamation liability for counts two and counts three, because all they reference is abuse in general. And if they were abusive to each other, then that should get you out of that particular equation. That could come back, I suppose, uh, in a different context, uh, but it doesn't seem likely to because of that headline uh, on the op-ed itself. They had their husband and wife arguments. They were both yelling at each other. I don't think that makes either of them right or wrong. That's what you do when you get into an argument, I guess. But to rise to the level of what she was claiming, 
there wasn't enough or any evidence that really supported what she was saying. And this is weird, right? This is kind of a weird locution of what the thought process would be. If you start with they were both abusive to each other, and then your quote is they had normal arguments and it didn't rise to the level of abuse abuse, I guess. That might be how you could translate this from the juror's perspective. But what's odd about this case is that the Washington uh, op-ed is all by implication. She isn't really saying much of anything except that Johnny Depp was abusive. And so if he was abusive, it's very difficult to square this circle. But that's the nature of talking to jurors, right? So this is one area of this article where it says, well, that actually kind of does sound like a juror because this is the kind of reasoning that a lawyer can't anticipate. And you say, what does that even mean? I say, well, basically it means uh, we're not using the word abusive the same way across our various sentences. And that's also kind of the human condition on this kind of stuff. Heard, the juror said, was considered the aggressor in the relationship by the majority of the jury. Now that's interesting. Again, not a quote, but that suggests that at least some people on the jury didn't think that Amber Heard was the aggressor in the relationship and at least thought it was mutual combat, if not Johnny Depp being the aggressor. If you have a battered wife or spouse situation, why would you buy the other person, the aggressor, a knife? If you really wanted to help Johnny Depp get off drugs, why are you taking drugs around him? And these are all questions and conversations that were brought up in the various panels. And in honesty, I didn't find the knife to be that compelling, but the jury apparently did. And you could tell that the Depp team thought the jury was having a reaction to the concept of the knife because they took out the knife and presented it to the jury as part of their ending arguments. Heard testified she purchased Depp a large knife as a gift, which Depp's legal team presented to the jurors. And the jurors said the photographs Heard took of her ex-husband also fell flat. Although the defense used them to show Depp's decrepit state after a drug or alcohol binge, the jurors said they failed to make an impact. If you mix alcohol and marijuana, that's where you usually end up, passed out. We discussed at length that a lot of the drugs she said he used, most of them were downers, and you usually don't get violent on downers. You become a zombie as those pictures show. And then GMA makes a good point separately. In his testimony, Depp also admitted to using cocaine, a stimulant, and Heard testified she was frequently doing the drug in her presence. Now, that's almost a counter argument to the position of where this quote is. But again, the type of drugs and what they do is the kind of conversation that anybody that watched the trial could have had, not just panelists on YouTube. It's exactly the kind of conversation that folks were having. Does that make that a jury kind of conversation absolutely could. It just doesn't present any information that we don't already know or anything that would really indicate to us uh, that this is specifically someone with uh, detailed information about what was said in that jury room. Obviously, one of the things that came up again and again was that Amber Heard taking pictures of her sleepy husband didn't actually convey what she was putting forth in her stories. Here's this horrible story, and here's a photo of him sleeping in a chair never really worked. It was never really congruent with what she was putting out there. That's one of the reasons why I felt her credibility was really in question. Then we've got a makeup section here. The juror also said the jury essentially dismissed all witnesses on both sides who were employees, paid experts, friends, or families from either side, which might be the case. I can certainly imagine this happening if the jury goes into the deliberation chambers and already feels like they're pretty close to coming to a conclusion, right? Where you say, okay, we're pretty close on this. Let's throw out everybody that's obviously biased in some form or fashion and see what's left uh, in order to finish off where we're going to talk about these things. I don't know whether this would have been the case uh, if it were a little bit more conflicted in that room and that you had to really dive into all this stuff. Certainly, if the lawyers knew that this was going to happen, 
that is weeks and weeks and weeks of testimony of people that are otherwise employees, paid experts, friends or family from either side. I mean, the remainder is like the cops, um, maybe the actual doctors uh, that that treated uh, these people, uh, which might be considered employees, but probably not. It's a very limited group of people that are not employees, experts, or friends or family. And of course, the plaintiff and the defendant themselves. Also suspect were the photos that Heard's team presented that purported to show bruising on the actress's face. Two photos presented near the end of the trial were not credible to the jury, he said. They believed the accusation by Depp's team that one photo was edited to artificially redden Heard's face to suggest bruising. It was definitely the same photo that had different lighting applied to it. Heard testified the photos looked different because of a vanity light. And, and GMA is presenting this uh, in a very nonchalant fashion in this paragraph. It is 100% the same photo with a different filter or brightness or contrast or coloration put on it, bound to the strands of hair. Uh, and so it's interesting to suggest that this was something that the jury kind of jumped on. And GMA actually says, yeah, Heard said it was because of a vanity light. Doesn't make any editorialization here when they have in other places in this article. But obviously, it was the same photo twice. Or as the juror says, those were two different pictures. We couldn't really tell which picture was real and which one was not. Uh, and they mean that it's the same picture given twice. The juror also said the defense failed her by telling them that the actress never goes outside with makeup on, yet she goes to file the restraining order without makeup on. And it just so happens her publicist is with her. Those things add up and starts to become hard to believe as a violation of I don't I always go outside with makeup on is just weird. And, and again, this is another area where maybe this is an actual juror because the logic here doesn't make a ton of sense. You could say, I never go out without my makeup on. And yet, if you're going to go get a TRO, if you're believing Amber Heard at that point in time, you don't want to just cover up the bruises that are going to show why you should get that temporary restraining order. So yes, I agree overall that Amber Heard had a publicist, had apparently tipped TMZ that she was going to go out there and have this moment with the temporary restraining order. But I don't think that the defense actually saying she never goes outside without her makeup on, which is kind of hyperbolic statement, actually would win that for me in the room. So maybe uh, this person is a juror. Still unclear. Seven million dollar donation that never happened was a fiasco. The juror said that the four hour debate over the difference between a pledge donation and an actual donation ended up a fiasco for Heard. On the stand, Heard testified she never finished donating all seven million from her divorce settlement to two charities because she didn't want Depp to reap the tax benefits by sending her settlements to the charities directly. She didn't, donating all seven million, she didn't donate anywhere near seven million. Heard testify that a pledge and a donation are synonymous with one another and mean the same thing. The jury was shown video of Heard on a Dutch talk show saying she gave her donation to the charities. The fact is she didn't give much of it away at all. The juror said it was disingenuous. And that was a very big moment in the trial. That makes sense as well. This is a clear instance where she's lying and once you've got that in your head that she's capable of that and she's capable of using the media for that purpose, it leads to an analysis like this juror, at least as claimed by GMA, is doing. He blamed Heard's legal team for giving her poor advice, such as looking directly at the jury when responding to questions. All of us were very uncomfortable at that, he said. And this is another area where it's exactly what we were talking about. So we talked about the knife. We talked about looking at the jury. We talked about so many areas of what's been plucked out here um, that, quite frankly, I, I just don't think we're that good. Uh, and that's what's raising those yellow flags for me. He also said her team had sharp elbows versus being sharp. But if you're not familiar with sharp elbows, if you think about people elbowing each other out of the way, 
That's usually what we talk about when we talk about big time law firms, just throwing people under the bus, hitting them with their elbows. Uh, this is a person that has some amount of business experience. It's kind of a business idiom. Um, and having sharp elbows versus being sharp, of course, being smart. This is a person criticizing the Amber Heard legal team as effectively being mean instead of smart and effective. They would cut people off and cross because they wanted one specific answer without context. They were forcing people to just answer a very narrow question, which was obvious. So we might call controlling the witness if you're watching it on the panel. She needs better advice, he said of Heard. Publishing the 2018 op-ed in the Washington Post that defamed Depp was a poor choice, he said. If she didn't do any of this stuff with the op-eds, Johnny Depp could have helped her out in her career. They didn't leave things on a nasty turn. It turned nasty after the op-ed. That's just a wild statement. Uh, and I don't know exactly what to do with it. Yes, if she doesn't write the op-ed in 2018, maybe Johnny Depp could have helped her out in her career. I don't know. I never got the impression that that was what was happening circa 2018. But apparently this person did. We only looked at the evidence. The juror denied the jury was swayed by outside forces. He and at least three others did not have Twitter accounts. Some people said we were bribed. That's not true. Social media did not impact us. We followed the evidence. We didn't take into account anything outside the courtroom. We only looked at the evidence. There were very serious accusations and a lot of money involved, so we weren't taking it lightly. And then there's other quotes, I guess, that didn't make it into this article that I have seen about only some people having Twitter and Facebook and never talking to, a, uh, to us about it. Uh, and some argument about whether they or not they were allowed to look at those things. Uh, and in general, they are allowed to do things that don't relate to the case, right? You're allowed to go and watch a movie at home. You're not maybe allowed to watch Pirates of the Caribbean 5. You are allowed to go and check your email. You're not allowed to go research the history of Johnny Depp and Kate Moss. So it becomes a situation where you have to depend uh, on the jury doing what they are supposed to do, not outside research on this particular case, but they weren't sequestered. They weren't barred from doing absolutely anything out there. And so this to me is a good answer if this is in fact the case, but it also suggests why this juror might be coming out when they are coming out because they are getting attacked by Amber Heard and Elaine Bredehoff and their team in the public saying they must have been corrupted by social media. They must have otherwise been looking at things outside of what they were supposed to be looking at. And this juror seems here in this answer to be saying, no, no, we didn't do that at all. The juror also said that no one on the jury was starstruck, which again is another line of argument from Amber Heard's team, as well as the media, and that their individual celebrity never played a factor in their decision. None of us were really fans of either one of them. What they do in their personal lives doesn't affect me whatsoever. Going to the movies is entertainment. I go for the quality of the movie, the storyline, not for the acting. Now here I would argue with this particular individual giving these quotes and say, no, no, the acting is part of the quality of the movie, but to each their own on that. Those are the quotes that are put forth in this article. I believe there are a couple more, as I suggested, in the videos that you might look at on this. Do check out the rest of the lawyers on YouTube uh, to have their kind of conversations about the video. But I wanted to go over this with you. I wanted to talk about my thoughts as we went through it. Again, it is so on point with what the fake juror on TikTok said. It is so on point with what we said on the panel I would just like absolute confirmation that this person is real. And I understand people saying ABC News, GMA, they wouldn't go and not vet this individual. I get that. I think it's more likely than not that this person probably is real because I want to believe in that process. But as you can probably tell, I'm not convinced that that process was undertaken in a good way. Not the least of which is because we're also talking about today a person that fabricated sources 
uh, and things of that nature. So I would like to see it a little bit more, uh, but I hope, I hope sincerely that it is in fact a real juror giving these quotes. So what do you think? Uh, leave me comments. Talk to me about what you think of these quotes, what you've seen over the past you know, 24 hours on all of this stuff, and whether or not you believe uh, that the proper vetting process is done for a, a source here that they just say is a juror, and we're sure, um, when we have seen other people try to get into the limelight on that kind of juror status. Uh, I'm going to take a few super chats now, and then we'll get back to the conversation. Um, Michael Bennett says, could, should the government simply require the media to self-regulate? The MSM must make adhere to their own state, federal, professional standards, board that enforces those rules. Possibly. Self-regulation is what they do right now. Uh, they have ethical standards. You saw, uh, we talked about the Pointner Institute. We talked about uh, the Society of Professional Journalists in Australia. Somebody raised when we were talking about the Rebel Wilson story earlier this week, that there is an Australian set of rules that apparently the Sydney Morning Herald actually talks about in a later op-ed after like the eighth article on this topic of their own uh, making. Uh, and so they are self-regulated, uh, but they don't actually have penalties that they put on themselves. I think the question that you're raising is, should somebody be enforcing penalties? If a lawyer goes off and does something in violation of the professional rules of conduct, then they can be disbarred. They can be ordered to stop practicing law. The question again becomes, do we want a body saying you're not allowed to report on something? That's a little bit different than being a lawyer. That's a little bit different than what I do because anybody could report on anything. It's what blogs are. It's what virtual legality is to some extent. We're doing commentary on other reports, but do I want to have to meet some kind of certification requirement to make these videos? And I think we'd be all the worse off for it if I did. You see Canada struggling with that right now. Ian Runkle has a number of great videos as to whether or not the Canadian government should be allowed to effectively control uh, what's going up on YouTube. Check those out. He, he has a whole series on them, obviously, because that hits him where he lives. Uh, but I would be worried about that process if I were in my shoes or anyone else's shoes, because it's very difficult to figure out exactly how that onion should be sliced without running afoul of the First Amendment or getting more and better information out there to the people. I think you run the risk a little bit of things getting out there that aren't true and people have to put their thinking caps on and critical analysis. And I always want to encourage these outlets to vet these things, but I'm not sure that I want a third party deciding when something is good enough for me. Uh, and again, that comes from my own personal perspective, but it's also the same kind of thing that, that has me making videos about YouTube telling folks to, to not listen to me and to listen to some other source because YouTube has gained from on high that they're more authoritative. And I find that to be a problem. Kyle Mitchell, you've basically had a continuous jury of 15 to 20 people, mostly lawyers, for six weeks trying to anticipate what the jury could be thinking. Why are you surprised that the ideas are the same? The jury didn't have any extra info. Well... I suppose it's because at least at some corners of my uh, psychology, I'm, I'm humble. I, I'm sure that will get a laugh from my wife at some point in another room. Uh, but I look at that and say, it was unlikely that we would anticipate basically every angle that they would look at uh, on this particular score. And I also worry that if they do, if we get an article like the one we just saw, it's easy enough to write from anybody that would have followed us. I could have written that. I could have written all of those quotes. I could have written more. Uh, and, and sounded like a juror. So when you combine that with a general lack of trust that I currently have for the vetting process, the sourcing and the journalistic output of these various outlets, I look at that and say, that could easily be a fraud if they didn't go through a proper vetting process. And so what I want 
is a paragraph or even an article that says, this is what we did to verify this person. Doesn't have to be names. I don't need them to not be anonymous. Understand that anonymous is fine on this, but I want to know what you did so that I can judge whether I think that's sufficient to make sure that this person is in fact a juror. And you didn't give that to me. You just made a raw assertion. And so I have a problem with that, having looked at what I've looked at for the past couple of months. Kathleen McCrory for a super sticker. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That is awesome. Uh, let's see here. What else we got? Jay Jones, you should follow that cynicism when it comes to the mainstream media. I don't want to. I'm an optimist. And in, in fact, I've said this before. We need the media. Nobody on earth can know everything that's happening or everything that would be important to them to know about. We need institutions that we can trust. And whether that media takes the form of a thousand substacks and journalists that you trust more specifically than institutions, that's fine. But we need to be able to trust in the process and the ethics of some people to tell us these things that we don't know because we cannot possibly be everywhere to have these conversations, right? So it is important that we don't just become cynical about this whole process, right? Apple pie, too close to what we said, suffering from success. When watching it live, Emily D. Baker would say, and if you think that chat, the jury might be too. What kind of disagreement change bolsters someone's credibility for you? Yeah, I, I guess it's just that it lined up so perfectly. Um, I would have expected something out of uh, the wilderness. Uh, just one thing. And you heard me kind of talking about why the logic doesn't make sense on some of that stuff, but it's still in the field of what we were talking about on these various panels or that Emily would have been talking about or anyone else that you might have been following. Um, so, you know, when other jurors have come out and talked about situations, generally speaking, there's a certain amount of surprise uh, that lawyers can't just always know what a juror is saying and them reacting to the knife the way we expected, them reacting to the way Amber Heard was looking at the jury in the way we expected, them reacting to the donation versus pledge argument in the way we expected. All of that is just at least worthy of additional consideration. Maybe the case is just so obvious that the jury just lines up with the lawyers, lines up with anybody else who is watching the whole thing. But I can't help but tell you, I have to tell you the truth here in this space, right? Or else what good am I? It raises yellow flags to me. It's too perfect. Uh, and so that's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm commenting on uh, to you all. Uh, so uh, it's fine if you want to say, you know, look, I don't agree with Rick's analysis there. Uh, I don't think that there's a problem with what this juror is saying. I believe GMA and ABC would have gone and vetted uh, this individual to make sure that they were a juror. That is totally okay. I just look at it and say, I need a little bit more. Prove it to me. Prove it to me. Let's see here. Uh, Julie Godey, Hoglaw, you did spend the whole trial trying to only look at what evidence that the jury saw. It's not surprising if they hit on the same points as someone in that position. That's how it's meant to work. Indeed, it is how it's meant to work. I just don't have full faith that it lines up perfectly uh, with that. But I appreciate, I appreciate that you all apparently have more faith in me on this than I do. But in all honesty, it is because of that accuracy that I look and say, hmm, yeah, let's see. Let's see. Um, my public, there was nothing about Dr. Curry. She seemed to have been dismissed and the panels all seemed to love her. Absence of common arguments would be a divergence. Maybe. I mean, what this juror said was that we're not going to talk about experts. Um, and that's interesting. Uh, like I said, if it is, a, if it's a real juror and they're having this conversation, I can imagine a, a straw poll that has it six to one or something like that. And you say, all right, let's, let's not even 
deal with the level of biases here. Who do you want to kick out? We're going to kick out all the experts. We're going to kick out all the friends. We're going to kick out all the family. What do we have left? And can we get across the finish line with just that? Uh, and so I can imagine a situation where that does in fact happen. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, they didn't cover everything that we covered in eight calendar weeks of coverage of this trial, but it was also however many words of an interview in that context. So I don't know whether or not they liked Dr. Curry over Dr. Hughes or whether they just never even talked about any experts because they were close enough without them. Um, but if it's not a juror, there's nothing that they have said that would uh, floor me if it was found out to be fake later. So you're right. You're right. They didn't talk about some of the stuff that we did talk about every day during the course of the trial. And maybe that's maybe that's good proof. I don't know. Uh, Kainai, you would think they would have talk about why they found for Amber Heard on one count. That's pretty significant and something you think they would say at least a sentence about. Don't know that they didn't. Right. We don't know that ABC News and Good Morning America aren't stretching this out, whatever information they have from this individual or otherwise having them on the horn to talk about other things that they might otherwise want to. But yeah, it didn't look like they were asked that question as part of this interview, or maybe they were unwilling to talk, um, unwilling to talk about it. Emily Aaron's reason lines can definitely differ, but in my opinion, a healthy amount of skepticism just in general is not necessarily a bad thing. Show me your work, GMA. It's all I want. I want to believe you did this right. I do. I'm an optimist. I was looking for it. When these things started popping up, when people started sending them to me, I'm like, just give me even a sentence that says this person delivered to us identification and proof of jury participation that we found sufficient uh, to be a juror. Nope. It's just, this is a juror. Good luck. Okay. Talk to me about what you did. Just a little bit. Uh, and that would make me happy. But again, I'm just a guy. I'm just a, I'm just a person talking about media uh, here online. And so... I want to express to you why I have this certain amount of pause. I want to believe that everything is fine over there. It is something that could be vetted by a news organization of that size. Uh, and so I hope that that is, in fact, uh, what they did. Uh, see here, Darth Hideous plot twist Hogue is actually the mystery juror. I did not give those quotes uh, to Good Morning America or ABC. I promise you that. Lol. Uh, did it line up perfect? You guys raised dozens of points not included here. Yes, because it's not a 60,000 word interview. Everything that was said by the juror basically lined up with what we said. And maybe we're that good. Maybe everything is just fine. Maybe the jury just went exactly the way we thought it would. That is totally fine. Uh, and, you know, tune into LawTube for the next trial because we're good at this. But I just have pause. That's what I do when I look at this and say that is very, very perfect. Uh, and so let's see where that goes. Aaron Flemons, hey, Hoag, speaking of pronunciations, uh, Jelly Goatee is, I think, Jellyfish. Uh, winky, smiling uh, face. Have a great day. All right. Jellyfish. Cool. Thank you so much. And then to my announcement that I am not the mystery juror, my blue Heather says that's exactly what the mystery juror would say. Smiling with teeth emoji. That is what the mystery juror would say, isn't it? Hmm. Yes. You got me in a catch-22 there because by denying it, I've done exactly what somebody denying it would say. Yeah, no, I was definitely not in Virginia at any time. In the, if, if, if they believe that I was the mystery juror, we've got real problems with the news vetting process because I can't show that I was anywhere near the courthouse on any of the days in question. Uh, so that would be its own uh, problem. Uh, Dolly Bar, maybe they just used the quotes that most people resonated with. Yeah, yeah, there are reasons why this could work. There are reasons why... If it's a long interview, GMA could itself be vetting and saying, look, 
here's what certain people thought on the internet. Here's where we see the resonance. And we're going to take the quotes that line up with what people thought uh, and just highlight those in this context. Could be. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I just don't know. So I'm very hopeful that it's a real juror. I just, I would like a little bit more confirmation. We also got smiling and laughing emojis. I don't know what I did, but I'm very glad that people are smiling and laughing. Why was this tried in Virginia? That's because that's where the Washington Post published the article. Most of the jury statements are so generic, it might be real, but nothing outside what everyone assumed they would be thinking. I think that's my point, right? That lines up exactly with what I thought a jury might be thinking, and there's nothing really oddball there. And so I say, wait, hang on, hang on. Uh, ML, totally agree. Even not going into too much detail, GMA could just have made a statement that they vetted him. Yeah, just a little. You don't need to tell me the exact process that you did. We collected identification. Our people are satisfied that this person's real. Fantastic. Uh, I have a heart. Uh, you guys were that good, but you weren't that good. Law well, collectively, you had thousands of people contributing ideas. It wasn't just a few lawyers. Collectively, you hit all four corners. Uh, maybe, maybe we just hit so many ideas and concepts that whatever came out in a more purified state from a juror interview was always going to hit something that one of us had said at some point. But to me, these quotes feel more like they're with what the consensus was. These are not kind of the random oddball things we would have thrown out on day 17, hour 11. These all kind of line up with where we were at with what was important and interesting. Uh, if they vetted, they would say it. Why leave that out? I don't think that's true. I think that the news media assumes a certain amount of institutional trustworthiness and that they shouldn't even have to say that they proved this was a juror. They can announce it because they are trustworthy and you guys should not be disbelieving. And maybe that's the way it should work. Uh, but for me, I just want a little more information about how you figured out that this was an actual juror and not a TikTok guy punking you. Um, all right. So those are our articles here for this Friday. I do have an announcement uh, that maybe is going to disappoint a few of you. I will be traveling and at meetings early this coming week. So there will not be a Hangouts and Headlines on Monday, and there will not be a Hangouts and Headlines on Tuesday. Now, my current plan is to get up on the web a number of the Just the Headlines videos for those slots and those days so that you can at least check those out if you haven't seen some of the headline analysis then. Uh, and I'm not sure where I will be on Wednesday, but it might be that we do a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday block next week. And I will try to add this to a community post on this channel, just so that you know what the scheduling is. Uh, after that, we will have that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then things will get weird again that next week. We're just in that kind of portion uh, of the year. So we'll talk about that when we get to next Friday, but we're going to have kind of an off weird schedule uh, for sections of the next couple of weeks. But I'll still be here. I'll still be talking through uh, headlines and whatnot. I just won't necessarily be doing it live uh, for a number of days uh, through the end of this month of June. Uh, so hopefully that's okay with everybody. Otherwise, uh, thank you so much for checking in with us here on Hangouts and Headlines this Friday morning, June 17th. I hope you have a wonderful Friday and a wonderful rest of your weekend. I will be putting up tapes in the start of next week, and you will definitely see me towards the middle of next week as well. Have a great one, everybody, and I will see you on the next episode.